All right, Dennis, good afternoon. I saw the story about Dairy Queen's 75th birthday. I got very excited about that. I guess you can get uh, a 75-cent dipped cone because they're 75 years old, right? Yes. Yep. So we need to find an ice cream store that's only been open for a year. Yeah. Really go to town there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I I like your thinking. Let's dig that up. Somebody find that place. All right. Well, good afternoon. Welcome to our show. A lot to talk about. We're going to dive right in and start the week here at 210-599-5555. Hope we had a good weekend and uh, good Palm Sunday. Made myself just about crazy making those palm crosses yesterday. And uh, my output was not good. It was not a good year in the palm cross industry at the Riccardi House. But anyway, we'll talk about that a little bit uh, coming up. You can always join the show and jump in on what we're talking about at 210-599-5555. The president was waving a gun around today on the on the lawn of the White House. It was a surreal event. Very strange uh, news conference. I don't know if you had a chance to see any of it or you might want to catch it later on. Um, they, um, I guess they're figuring... This is a new vector or a new line of mess. It's not really new, but it's time to come back to this old chestnut of gun control. And um, so he came out, and uh, this was the opportunity to name a new ATF director because they had to withdraw the previous nominee. There hasn't been a permanent ATF director, I read today, in almost seven years, if you can believe that. And so the the big headline today was we're going to reclassify kit guns to be licensed and have serial numbers and we're going to crack down on them and of course they're called ghost guns by people that want to end them and they're called gun kits or kit guns by people that don't um and they're the, they're a menace to our society and they're driving the crime wave and they're scaring people and we're going to get serious said the president and he waved one around and said you know look how easy it is to put this together it comes with instructions and it's easy and i don't know it was a weird moment um i i don't think he should have sharp objects much less uh, much less guns tell me where you are on this I, I i have no problem with if they want to put serial numbers on kit guns that's fine um, they're a tiny, tiny, infinitesimal part of the, the total industry. They're not the, the guns that are featured in high-profile uh, shootings and mass shootings and things like that. Um, the, the, the guns that are used mostly in crime, and, and I, I've gleaned this from, you know, talking to, to uh, our DAs over the years, talking to lawyers, talking to people in law enforcement, the guns that are used in crime are mostly guns that criminals get through criminal means they buy them for their criminals or they steal them or they get them on the street they're not going through background checks they're not sitting at home with their half glasses on putting it together put it, putting the the kit together um i mean that's just absurd the whole problem with this approach is that it's meant to excite the democratic base gun control is an exciting word for the Democratic Party's base. But it's not a viable issue anymore in this country. I've been talking about it. I've been in talk radio a long time. We've been talking about gun control all along. But it's funny how in the last couple of years we've talked about it a lot less. And I think you can go back to the 2020 uh, riots and the, the sense that things were out of control, that police were being pulled back and dialed back and defunded. 
And that has sold more guns and turned more people against gun control than the entire lifetime of ads from the NRA and, and gun manufacturers and Charlton Heston and all the rest. That's what killed gun control, democratic policies that let cities burn and and made people feel like there was no one, the, the cavalry wasn't coming. And uh, that sells guns, and that kills the idea that you need to control guns. People have wised up. They know now you need to control criminals, not guns. Tell me what you think. We're going to talk about it. 210-599-5555. The inflation data comes out tomorrow, but it must be bad because Jen Psaki was talking about it today. Like, tomorrow's news today. And uh, she was saying, well, we're expecting elevated data which I guess means the numbers are going to be really high, and they are going to be high. Uh, it looks like inflation is going to break another record uh, when we get the statistics tomorrow and Wednesday. You ever think about how weird it is that we get these numbers from the government? Like it's the government that report that surveys consumer prices and then reports the inflation rate. It's the government that surveys unemployment applications and reports the unemployment rate you know it's really weird you don't you don't think about it because all your life you've gotten this data from the government but we're living in a time when um people don't really have a lot of faith in government statistics and government claims and government censorship all you have to do is look at the cdc on masks or the suppression of, you know, information and, and, and questions about COVID-19. To know that you can't depend on the deep state, you can't depend on their statistics. Asking them to report the inflation rate would be like asking a baseball player to keep track of his batting average. We don't do that, right? We don't say, hey, slugger, what's, what are you hitting? Oh, I'm hitting 600. I mean, you know, he, he could say anything. Why do we trust them? And in fact, we don't all trust them. There are people starting to develop alternate sources of data. There's a, an outfit called Trueflation that's doing their own index of inflation. It's not really final yet, but in time, I think the Trueflation numbers will compete for news coverage with the government numbers. And Trueflation uses the same calculation model, but it looks at real market price data. It goes to things like Zillow. And it goes to, you know, it goes, it goes to the source of home sales, consumer prices, consumer behaviors, retailers. So I don't know. It just seems weird to me that we get these statistics from the government when the government has a vested interest not to tell us how bad things really are. So we were talking at the end of last week about Elon Musk buying Twitter stock and being offered a seat on the Twitter board, and then the news came over the weekend that he's not joining the board after all. And um, there's all kinds of interpretations of this, and I don't pretend to have any inside information, but from what I've gleaned, if you join the board, there is a limit to how much stock you can hold. If you don't join the board, there isn't, and he is still buying stock. So my guess is, the Elon Musk story is probably a good story, good news story. You know, this is if if, you, if you're sick and tired of Twitter, if you think it's a cesspool like I do, then Elon Musk is probably a guy that can have some benefit beneficial effects on it. I want him to buy more of the stock. I want him to take more of an ownership position. He can actually do that if he's not 
a member of the board. It's kind of like the difference between being inside the tent, you know what, and being outside. We want him outside. Remember, um, if you're a movie fan, I know you remember this, but do you remember a car in the 80s called the DeLorean? That was the car in Back to the Future. And, in fact, that's the, that's the, the sort of the best moment that car ever had. In, in Back to the Future, that DeLorean is a movie star right up there with Michael J. Fox. But in the real world, the original DeLorean was a scam. It was a total ripoff. It was a car that was um, conceived of and marketed by a guy named John DeLorean, who'd been a, a rising hotshot General Motors executive. And then um, when he went off to do his own thing and build this, this startup car company, um, he got into trouble. He got upside down. And he wound up uh, busted. And the company had gone to Ireland at this point, and it had defrauded uh, local government and people and left a lot of people in Ireland in a bad in a bad way. They thought they had a new industry. They thought they were going to be the new Detroit, and it was it didn't work out. Well, the new DeLorean car company has nothing to do with John DeLorean. It's got a fresh slate of investors. It's it's a company that's using the name because the name is, I guess, well-known. The new DeLorean is going to be an electric car, and they advertised it during the Super Bowl, and it's already been announced that they're going to have a headquarters at Port San Antonio. They're not building the car in San Antonio, but they're going to have some administrative people here, I guess. And now it looks like city council is going to give them a half a million dollars to lock them in uh, to headquarter at Port San Antonio. So we're asking you on the Stevens Roofing JR poll today, should City Council give DeLorean a half a million dollars? Um, I just have a funny feeling we're going to wind up being a, a Keith Morrison story on Dateline. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? You know the guy on Dateline with the white hair? And then it determined, and then we found out, and then, you know. I just I hope that we're not repeating the mistake those poor people made in Ireland, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, it's interesting when people have a, an electric car nowadays, they've got to sex it up with a name, like Ford's electric car is the Mustang, you know, they, they have to sex it up because right now, uh, electric cars are more hype than reality. And so I guess DeLorean was seen as kind of a shortcut name to get a car in front of a lot of people to create a lot of buzz and curiosity. I mean, it's a nice looking car in the pictures, but, um, I don't know. What do you think about that? How do you, how do you feel about being DeLorean City? Uh, what do you think about the city council? Going to vote a half a million dollars for the new DeLorean car company. It sounds like a joke. I mean, it's, it really does. It sounds like, a, it sounds like we're walking right into it. Like what city would be stupid enough to give a company called DeLorean a half a million dollars? Don't you know what happened the last time? But I, I, I will admit these are different people. They're just trying to use the name. It's it's not John DeLorean, obviously, and it's not anybody from that company. It's that there's there's nothing but a few styling cues that even connect to the old car. It's obviously it's an electric car, which the original DeLorean was not. Um, I just you know, it, it's one of those things that I, I have a hard time being against it, but it does have a little bit of a whiff or feel of we're being taken. 
but it's probably more about using the name DeLorean. I, the best I can understand it is you're trying to get electric cars out there. You're trying to make them sexy and interesting and compel, compelling. And so you use, you know, a name like Mustang or DeLorean because you hope people will see that as being cool and desirable. Obviously, there's a lot of downsides to uh, owning an electric car right now. There's a lot. We talked about this on the show last week. There's a lot of hesitation. A lot of hesitation, and for good reason. So they're trying anything to kind of goose the market. Um, it does seem odd to me that they would headquarter the company here but make the cars somewhere else. It's a very small startup. Why would you be in two different places? But in any event, this wouldn't even kick in for several more years. It would create 400 or 500 jobs. They'd have to pay fifty grand at least. And we're asking you about that on the JR poll. The president coming out and talking about guns today is very telling. It, it, it really says in, in a way that words cannot how panicked the White House and the Democrats are about the midterms. I don't want to get your hopes up. I mean, it, 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 it could be that we are expecting way too much from the midterms, but they must really be worried because gun control is sort of an old standby. It's like, you know... It's like the band playing one of its big hits. You know, hopefully we'll get some people out on the dance floor. Um, and the president's announcement was very dramatic. He did a lot of yelling and gesticulating. He was waving this gun, uh, looking, you know, picked up this gun and was gesticulating with it. I would not have wanted to be in the front row of that news conference. But here's the truth. And I'm, I'm not going to tell you that you shouldn't take the Second Amendment seriously. You should. But the Democrats killed gun control all by themselves. They killed it in 2020. When America's cities were on fire and they were having fever dreams about defunding the police while police stations were on fire, people saw all they needed to see. I don't know when the high watermark was for gun control. I know that there was a lot of uh, intensity about the issue around the school shootings because we all feel for those victims and those families and those communities. I think that shook a lot of people that thought they knew where they stood on this issue. Things like Newtown and, and Parkland. And, but then you look at like what happened last week in Sacramento. Now last week they had the, the mass shooting in Sacramento and they have, I think, two or three suspects. Six people were killed and I think 12 or so were injured. The story of that shooting is not a ghost gun or even a gun. The story of that shooting is that you had somebody in prison, you had them righteously locked up, and you let them out early. And you let them out early over the recommendation of the district attorney in Sacramento. If you won't keep criminals behind bars, if you won't lock them up in the first place, if you won't fund the police, I don't take you seriously. And more and more people don't take you seriously either. And so I think they've missed their moment. And this ghost gun thing is their attempt to grab some of that old glory. And, you know, we heard about background checks again. Look, the president's own son lied about a background check. <laughs> what kind of credibility do they have on this issue? It's absurd. Tell me what you think. 210 599 Fifty-five, fifty-five. Patrick's on the radio. Patrick, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm looking back. I guess I can't take them seriously either. 
if you look back during the Obama administration with Fast and Furious, they gave 1,700 guns to the cartels. This administration, I won't bore you with the equipment numbers of the heavy equipment numbers, but they left 64,363 machine guns. They left 16,000 uh, uh, high dollar, $14,000 a pair of night vision goggles. Mm-hmm. Got two more. 358,530 M4s and variants, mm-hmm. 126,295 handguns, and a massive artillery and airplanes. You're talking about Afghanistan, to, right? Right. The, to the biggest terrorist organization in the world. And we're probably going to be looking at the other end of those weapons someday. And he's crabbing about uh, a, a group of weapons that I don't think is even one one hundredth of the percent of uh, weapons in this country. And they're not they're not trying to protect us from guns. You're exactly right. They're they're grasping at straws. Well, they're desperately trying to find a, a W that they can hang on the board between now and November, and they need something that will uh, that will light up their base. And 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 their base does get excited when he talks about gun control, just like when Obama did, just like when Clinton did. But the difference between then and now, I think, Patrick, is that now more and more people in the middle, people that are not very political or are independent, are like, I don't want to hear about it. That's not the problem. They can see that now. 2020 taught them that. Right. And I, what I hear now from all these folks that are concerned about it is the phrase, no one's coming to save you. You're on your own. Right, right. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point, and I think you're—I think you're referencing of leaving all that. I mean, what they left in Afghanistan makes uh, you know Fast and Furious look like a walk in the park. It's a great point. Thank you, Patrick. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. And on the JR poll, should the city council give DeLorean a half a mil to come to San Antonio? I feel like we're going to have a Keith Morrison story on Dateline NBC one of these days. Uh, Elvis, what do you think? I think it's uh, might going to work pretty uh, pretty good. Uh, I was surprised when I saw the commercial. And when DeLorean went out of business, a company in Houston purchased all the leftover parts, and they right. were building uh, new DeLoreans in uh, Houston with bigger and better engines That's right. in about the ninety five uh, ninety nine time frame. So you're excited about you're excited about this new company? Uh, I think it might work. Why not? They're going to throw. Throw another company into the mix. Maybe somehow it'll get better. But there's still no direct sunlight to charge uh, car yet developed. Yeah. I just hope we get a nice photo op of uh, of Ron Nirenberg in a T-top DeLorean cruising down the street. You know, just just uh, that's what I want. That's what I want. That's the moment I want to see in all of this. Uh, Elvis, thanks for the call. All right, so yes or no, should the city council be giving them half a million to come to San Antonio? 210-599-5555. You can also vote in the JR poll at KTSA.com. We'll talk guns and inflation. And remember Alan West? We've had him on the show a number of times. He ran for governor. He, he didn't make it in the Republican primary against Greg Abbott. But I'll tell you what's new with him. You're going to want to hear this. Welcome to our Monday show. Um... Yeah, I think the Elon Musk news is probably good news. I mean, I don't know exactly what Elon Musk is going to do with Twitter. Uh, everybody seems to think they know. I don't know. I mean, the guy's very mercurial and unpredictable. He's done some good things. He's done some crazy things. He's said some good things. He said some things that were deplorable and weird. I, I can't, I can't pin him down. I think he's probably just a real free spirit. You know, he's just, and I don't think it has anything to do with the money. 
We always think when people who are rich are eccentric, they're eccentric because they're rich. But in fact, don't you know eccentric people that don't have two dimes to rub together? I do. You might even think I'm one of them. Anyway, he seems to want to take a broom to all the cancel culture and liberal, you know, finger on the scale treatment over at Twitter. And and, and if he is going to do that, and if he is going to restore it to being a true public square marketplace of ideas, I'm 110% behind him. If that is the case, he needs to buy more stock. It looks like he wants to do that. Joining the Twitter board, from what I hear, would would have capped or limited what he could do. So if he's not joining the board, that's probably a good thing. And they are obviously, here's why I, here's why I'm kind of optimistic about this. They are bleeping bricks over there at Twitter about Elon Musk. I mean, people are quitting. People are quitting on TikTok. <laughs> people are, you know, they're, they're, they're posting, uh, rainbow flags. I'm out of here. I can't do it. So I, I have to think they think or they're getting some indication that he is going to be the scourge of Twitter. And I am for that. So we, have some reason to think otherwise. 210-599-5555. But he may just be somebody who's who likes to keep everybody guessing and gets off on that. And you know, you've got that kind of money. You gotta find something to, you know, entertain yourself. It's probably very boring, right? You just everything you've ever wanted, you have. And uh I don't know how you even, you know, how do you even go through the day, right? I mean, how do you know who your friends are and if a woman is really interested in you and all that stuff? That kind of money. Um, we're talking about Alan West. Alan West is uh, a guy we've had on the show many years. Have a lot of respect for him. Retired lieutenant colonel, served as a Florida congressman, came to Texas, moved here to Texas, was the chairman of the Republican Party for about a year. That didn't go very well. Then he ran in the primary against Greg Abbott, but so did a bunch of other people, none of whom really got traction. Um, I, I, I tend to agree with... Tim Wesley, who uh, is in the runoff for land commissioner, who said the problem with a lot of grassroots conservative candidates in primaries is that people get very excited about them. Conservatives get very excited. Yeah, let's make a change. And then they get in the voting booth and they panic and they stick with the safe incumbent, who in this case was was Governor Abbott. But Alan West isn't going away and he's still speaking his mind. So that's my prelude to what I'm about to tell you. He went to the University of Buffalo the other night to speak at um, an event and give a speech entitled, America is Not Racist, which seems like a, a reasonable speech title. I mean, not everybody will agree, but it's not the most inflammatory thing I've ever heard. Uh, for an African-American gentleman to say that, seems to me you should at least listen. His experiences, if you know anything about them, uh, make his input on this, I think, interesting and worth hearing, whether you agree or disagree. And college, as we've talked about before, should be a place where you hear things that you're hearing for the first time or that challenge your own assumptions or comfort zone. You're supposed to, you're supposed to get out of your comfort zone to go to college. That's why you don't take mommy and daddy with you. That's why you, uh, you know, you kind of break the, the, the bonds of, of the, uh, the family home, right? And kids even say, I want to go as far away as I can. Okay. So 
He goes to the University of Buffalo, and he's invited by a conservative group with their chapter, and the BLM chapter, or organizers, uh, shout him down. And he has to be escorted by police out of the building. He said something very interesting afterwards. We can play a little of that sound if we have it, Edwin. Um, this is what it sounded like when Alan West was trying to speak at the University of Buffalo. So he, he is saying, the, the, the questioner, the, the young lady that's questioning him, is saying, how can you uh, challenge and speak to things that support our oppressors? Um, and, w- for example, when Alan West and, and people like Alan West speak of the importance of the nuclear family and two-parent families and things like that. Um, and Alan West said after the uh, experience at Buffalo that he's old enough to remember the days when black students had to be escorted onto college campuses, but now because of radical militant black students, I had to be escorted out. Now, I I will say this. um, The very fact that black students could be there at the Allen West event and yell at him, and I think be very disrespectful to a man that's served this country wore its uniform, and at least let him have his say, and not speak to him the way she did. At the very least, I think that would be warranted. But the the very reason they are there is because others before them risked their lives to integrate colleges, universities, public schools. So these students are where they are because other people overcame Real racism. And I look at this, and last week we were talking about the New Yorker, uh, or not New Yorker, but New York Magazine story about Black Lives Matter, and you heard how they built, uh, they uh, bought a $6 million mansion and all the other ways that they spent all this money uh, that came in. And I think we have to rethink what's going on here. Two years ago, when cities were on fire and slogans were being chanted, I think a lot of people got very angry at the the chanters of the slogans. I look at these college students, and I see victims. They They have been scammed. They have been taken. And not just them, but all the guilt-ridden white people that gave money to BLM because they really believe they are part of the problem. They have white guilt, they have white privilege, they or they or they may think maybe they're not sincere, maybe they think well if I give the money and I put the sticker on the back of my Volvo, I'll I'll look like I'm part of the solution, not part of the problem. But what whatever the reason, 
I think we now have to conclude, and it's hard not to conclude this, that BLM was a racket. I'm not saying black lives don't matter. I'm saying this organization raised Boku cash and just had a good old time with it. And they are not, and it's very clear when you listen to these students, no one's getting any kind of education on the actual history of race in this country and how we got to where we are today, which is not a perfect place, but we are in a place where a lot of progress has been made. It's a, it's a scam. I don't mind that if you have an organization and you pay your top executive a six-figure salary, that's so normal, that's so, that's so common nowadays, it doesn't even seem worth you know, mentioning. If that was all they had done, you could say, well, look, all these other charities do that too. But I mean, it, it, the, the New York story just kind of lays the, the whole thing to, to, to a lie. Mansions, trips, five-star hotels. These were people that were decrying capitalism. They're living capitalism. <laughs> They're enjoying capitalism. They're not eschewing it. I mean, say what you want about 60s radicals, but they were, you know, they weren't bathing and they were letting their armpit hair grow and everything else. I mean, they were living the, they were living the, the, the slogans. These people are not. This is no different than if you're pretending to have a disease and you set up a GoFundMe account. Oh, please help me get my operation. And you get all the money and you buy yourself nice things. And then we find out that you weren't even sick. That's what this is. And that's what these students that are yelling at Alan West are. They're, they're the victims of a scam. I know you want to be angry at them. I know you want to say, we've, you know, how can they be so ignorant? How can they not know? But I'm telling you, people have made it their business to make them that way. It is a business to make them that way. And it's, it's a business that's worked. You know? That what you're seeing when you see a moment like what Alan West had or what happened at the University of North Texas, what you're seeing is the success of the intolerance business. Give us your money, surrender your critical thinking skills or your logical thinking skills, and in return we will give you slogans and affirmation to make you feel good. I mean, it's an exchange, right? There's, there's, a, there's a transaction there. And then people go off and buy mansions, and young college students are filled with rage, screaming at the top of their lungs at a man who, if they sat and had coffee with him or a lunch with him, could tell them stories about his own youth, his own upbringing, his own background, that I think they would at least find maybe inspiring or at least at least they could say wow i didn't know it was i didn't know that, that this happened long before i was born or that the experiences i've had other people have had or that it was worse before as bad as i think it is now it was worse before you can't learn anything if you can't hear anything you can't hear anything if you're yelling at the top of your lungs at a retired army officer and telling him he doesn't know anything about being black in America when he is black. 
What goes through your mind when you hear these students at the University of Buffalo screaming down, yelling out, drowning out, uh, former gubernatorial candidate, retired Colonel Allen West? Take a listen. She's asking him, how can you validate your oppressors? Don't you know lynching just now became illegal? Not true. Um, you know, to me, the oppressors are BLM and rich people that gave them money and enabled them to rip off and fool the little people. I mean, I don't care. If you're some Hollywood star and you want to give them money and that makes you feel better about yourself or less guilty about the 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 life you have or somehow deep down you don't think you deserve it and your shrink hasn't helped you with that and so giving blm money lets you off the hook go you know knock yourself out but but the real victims are these people yelling and screaming in total ignorance of what is happening and i i i guess if you want to again like we were saying with the gun issue if you go back to 2020 and the world is locked down and there's this video of a white police officer kneeling on the neck of a black person. And people don't like it, and I understand that, rightly so. But is it now not clear that there were people who saw a business opportunity there? Because how else do you explain the mansions and the cars and the incomes and the millions and millions of dollars that we we really don't know how they've been spent or if they have been spent to better anyone's life or improve anyone's lot. And um, if 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 you if you think I'm wrong, then I just I guess I would just like to understand if you don't think this was a business and you don't think this was opportunistic, then show me how this outcome of young people unable to even bring themselves to listen to this man to just give him a hearing. And then, by all means, pepper him with your questions and your your arguments. How, how is this a win? How is this making anybody's life matter? To use their words. Now they would say, and they have said in response to the New Yorker uh, excuse me, I keep saying New Yorker. It's New York Magazine. It's a different magazine. In response to the reporting that they and others have done, they they say it's right-wing media, which New York Magazine is anything but right-wing. They say it's because BLM is winning and because BLM is powerful that now they're being criticized and, and, and people are, you know, uh, scrutinizing uh, their finances. It's racist. They even called it cancel culture, which is interesting, again, because the tactic 
of those Buffalo students really is to what? It's to cancel Colonel West. And I'm not saying you got to agree with Colonel West. I'm not even saying you have to listen to him. I mean, you have the right to go do something else on campus that night. But this is what BLM bought along with the mansions. They bought a lot of very gullible people. And the mansions are what they are. And it's no skin off my nose. I don't care. Let them, let them live wherever they want to live. But I, I, take, I take a lot of offense at leaving behind generations of young people who will be yelling and screaming at the wrong targets, who will be fighting the wrong battle, who will never know what's really oppressing them. It's not Alan West. He doesn't even have the power to do it if he wanted to. They're victims, and they can't see it. And they feel powerful because they're yelling, and he's leaving. That's a kind of power, I guess. Is that a win? Do you think that's a win? Is that Does that justify the $100 million they raised or whatever it was? I thought this was interesting. There were some, um, this was in Blacksburg, um, Virginia. There were some high school lacrosse players, girls lacrosse players, who had shirts that said, pray for peace, and bore the Ukrainian flag. And they were wearing these shirts. By the way, they didn't wear them during the games. During the games, they wore the school uniform. These were warm-up shirts, uh, not uh, game uniforms. But they got in trouble anyway, <laughs> because... Montgomery County said the uh, the school department said that those shirts were uh, in violation of a district policy on political displays. Uh, quote, the girls lacrosse team is no longer permitted to wear Pray for Peace t-shirts as warm-up gear, they said in an email. This message conveyed by the shirts, although positive in nature and well-meaning, can be interpreted as religious and political in nature. Um, I thought the last time I checked that athletes were wearing all kinds of political messaging. I'm I'm a little confused. Um, have we not just come through two years of athletes wearing political slogans on uniform shirts, cleats? helmets on playing fields and arena floors and if you want to say well that's at the pro level these are public schools isn't pretty much everything that young athletes do in imitation of their role models and idols at the pro level I mean, isn't it safe to say that everything from the way they gear up to the way they celebrate a goal or an achievement to the... I mean, it's all modeled on who they look up to. And the people they look up to at in every sport, at every level, have been touting political messages for the last two years. Moreover... I thought Ukraine and supporting Ukraine was like in a class of its own. I mean, you can't you can't go anywhere without seeing people wearing or 
sporting the Ukrainian colors. And I'm not against that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Pray for peace. So maybe it wasn't the peace part or the Ukrainian part. Maybe it was the word pray. They shouldn't have said that. Maybe they should have said hope for peace or wish for peace. Except last time I checked, every time politicians say we need something, every time they invoke something, every time they ask for something, they say we pray. They pray. They start their sessions with prayer. If there's a tragedy, they say we pray for the victims. And when they talk about Ukraine, they tell us, keep those people in your prayers. So what part of this was a problem in Blacksburg, Virginia? They can't wear their Pray for Peace t-shirts while warming up for their girls' lacrosse game. I thought every president we've ever had, we've had them from different faith traditions, prayed for peace and said pray for peace. The word pray itself doesn't really even connote um, religion necessarily, right? I mean, these days, pray is almost a secular word because it's invoked so often and so casually. It doesn't literally mean when people hear it that they hit their knees. You might or you might actually pray but you know a lot of people say that word and use that word and invoke that word that don't actually pray right and i also thought well these are these are these are high school students so we want them to learn right we want them to connect what they're learning to the world they're living in today ukraine whatever you think of what's going on over there okay and whatever you think we should do about it, or if you don't think we should do anything about it, is a teachable moment. Young people are aware of it, hyper-aware of it, and they should be. Help me out here. What was wrong with this? Other than it was just an easy target for somebody who wanted a fight. And I, I'm telling you, these, these cancelers, when they get their way, it is such a thrill for them. It's like it's like they have a scalp to hang from their belt. They can brag, they can boast about how we got those shirts taken down. We got that building renamed. We got the, the plaque taken off that bridge. We got that president delisted or you know, whatever it is. They're very proud of that. That passes for an accomplishment. It isn't, but for them it does passes for a real accomplishment. It's, it's richly satisfying. Tell me what you think. 210-599-5555. Why aren't there more adults just standing up and going, those girls are going to wear those T-shirts unless you would like to come down here, trot out onto the field, and physically remove them. And we're not going to tell them to take them off, and we're going to say we're proud of them for putting them on. And if you have a problem with these student athletes, then maybe you should have a talk with the people they look up to who've modeled the behavior of political messaging on uniforms for the last two years. Every sport at every level. You've got to make up your mind. If it has no place in sports, if it has no place on the playing field, that's one argument. But then you've got a lot of cleaning to do. 
right? A lot of cleanup to do. If, on the other hand, it's okay for football players to have it on their helmet or their shirt, then why isn't it okay for lacrosse players just to have it on a warm-up shirt, just a practice shirt? God forbid they wear it during the game. It might change everything. <laughs> you know how political lacrosse is. 210-599-5555. See, this is, this is what I call one-way tolerance. And people are sick and tired of it. Tolerance that only goes one way. And you probably consider yourself a tolerant person. You, you might even say, I'm a live and let live person. Jack, I don't, I don't go looking for trouble. I try to avoid it. I, I try to get along with everybody. If I don't like something or I don't like somebody, I usually, if I don't have anything nice to say, I don't say anything at all. That's how you were. That's how most conservatives are. They're live and let live. But it's not like that anymore. It's, I live and you submit. You have to tolerate me, but I don't have to tolerate you. Tolerance only works if it's a two-way street. It doesn't work as a one-way. When it's one-way, it's a weapon. And that's what people now see it to be. They now realize that things like critical race theory isn't teaching tolerance. It's a one-way street. And when we were talking about the Disney company last week and companies that are, that are weaponizing this new law in Florida, it's always a one-way street. You must tolerate the people they select for tolerance, but you will never be on that list. Your opinion cannot be tolerated. Your values are not among those that fit into the universe of, of ideas or, or the public square of ideas. We don't really have free speech. We have free speech when the people who are running speech approve of what you're saying. But when they don't, which is the real test of free speech, we shut it down. One-way tolerance. Yesterday being Palm Sunday. Um, do you make palm crosses? How many people make palm crosses anymore? We, When I was growing up, we would go to church on Palm Sunday as a family. My dad would... Uh, sit down as soon as we got home and start folding the palm leaves or fronds or whatever you call them into these amazing crosses. I, As a kid, I, I, I never thought, how does he know how to do this? And I never did ask him. I never got around to asking him how he knew how to make them. He just seemed to know. You know how your dad just knows stuff and you don't think about where he learned it? You just figure he was born with it? Like, you probably figure he was born old. He was born with the palm cross skill. I don't know. It's in his blood or so. He's a dad, right? He's supposed to know how to fix stuff and make stuff. Anyway, so I, I had him teach me as I got older, or he actually kind of took us under his wing and taught us. And, um, like a lot of things, when you're, you know, when you're a young person, you, you kind of pay attention, but you don't. There were all kinds of things I did with my dad that I wish I had paid more attention to because later on I realized I need to know how to do this and I'm not, I can't stuff around the house and the yard and whatnot. Anyway, so years later, I'm, I'm trying to make palm crosses and I'm having very little luck and he's no longer there to ask. And fortunately, I realized that you could watch these tutorials on YouTube. And so I'm like, all right, okay, I'm good. I'm back in the business now. I can make the palm crosses, but every year, 
I have to look at that video again because you don't do them for a whole year. You don't make them for a whole year. I guess maybe some people do, but I only make them once a year. And there's all these all these folds. There's several steps you have to do because you're making this cross that holds together. You're basically tying it into a, a knot that holds together. And even as the palm frond dries out and gets crispy, that cross holds its shape. They're beautiful when you do them right. I posted a picture of mine on Facebook, not beautiful. I'm sure you did a lot better if you made palm crosses yesterday. But tell me about it, 210-599-5555, or you can see it on the Jack Riccardi page, uh, Facebook page. Uh, Now, in addition to yesterday being Palm Sunday and the significance of that, I, I couldn't help but think about the, the, the gospel that we had in church. And if you're familiar with it, you know where I'm going with this. Palm Sunday is the sort of penultimate public act in the life of Jesus. It's the triumphant entry. It's the conquering hero. It's public adulation. He knows what's coming. He knows how it's going to end. But to look at him in the gospel of yesterday, he looks like he's on top of the world. I couldn't help but think how much that resembles what we do today. Not not necessarily that the people we do it to are, are, are messiahs. They're not. But we love to raise people up and then bring them down. Now, when I say we, you're taking offense. You're like, I I don't do that. What are you talking about? But we're all part of a society that does it. Maybe you don't do all of it. But admit it, right? I mean, it never fails to be a news story when the mighty fall, when somebody famous falls, fails, is exposed, when the tide turns. And you can say, well, sometimes they deserve it. They, they, they act a certain way. Will Smith, you know, he, he did something. People don't like him anymore. Okay. But I'm just saying, there's something about the human condition that's, that's in that gospel from, that we heard in, in church yesterday that absolutely aligns with what we're doing today, which I guess is why we read it. 210-599-5555. It's very interesting. I, I, I sometimes like to think about, this may sound weird to you, but you probably already think I'm weird, so I'll tell you anyway. I sometimes think about how the ministry of Jesus would play in today's world, in today's media, social media, <clears throat> uh, the way we are today. It's not all that different from the way they were. We have all the same ingredients. We just have some additional ingredients they didn't have, like obviously they didn't have the immediacy of electronic media. But we have the same kinds of players, cast of characters, types of people. You know, he was he was dealing with people that were genuinely faith filled, but also people that were shams and pretenders. We do that. There were a lot of people that were skeptical and had good reason to be. There were people that were fearful of the government when it came to their faith. 
they looked over their shoulder before they expressed something, or they didn't express it because they knew it was dangerous to do that. We still have that. I wonder what it would be like and how it would be, how that story would be the same and how it would be different if it was happening now. And, of course, I was talking about palm crosses and uh, Tamara's calling in on KTSA. Hi, Tamara. Hi. Do you make palm crosses? We do. Uh, so I am Greek Orthodox, and, you know, our Easter is not always uh, coinciding right. with the Western churches. Um, right. And this coming Sunday happens to be our Palm Sunday. So... Saturday is Lazarus Saturday, mm-hmm. and we have a special liturgy um, to to commemorate Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And we follow that with our entire Sunday school um, department and any adults that want to join us making palm crosses mm-hmm. that our priest gives out on Palm Sunday. Very nice. Now, did you learn at home, or how did you learn to make them? I learned them on Lazarus Saturday up at the church, making them the church. With, okay. with all the Sunday school. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And are you able to remember it every year, or do you need to look at, like, a video? I, I just can't remember it the following year. It's like I've never done it before. I know. I can't remember it either, but our high schoolers, are they've been doing it all of their lives, so they teach us adults. <laughs> oh, okay. So maybe they have, like, more, like, memory cells than we do or something. I'm sure they do. <laughs> because you only make them once a year, right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we I'll tell you what, if you... If you... And, and palm fronds, and mm-hmm. um, and then when we order all the, palm, the palms, the full fans mm-hmm. to decorate our church, we also use some of the... Um, the strips from the fronds to right. make the palm crosses. Right. Yeah. I would love to see if you get a chance to post... Uh, the pictures of them. I'd love to see how they look because I, I noticed there's a lot of different ways to make them and different people have different styles and I, I guess there's more than right, one right way to do it. There probably is. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, well, thanks I'll for calling. Them. I appreciate um, that. It's, it's neat to hear your uh, your tradition on that. Thank you, Tamara. I appreciate it. So uh, the Greek uh, church, the Greek Orthodox church still leading up to its Palm Sunday, uh, Catholics and some other Christians having it uh, yesterday. Um, tell me if you made them or show. Welcome to Monday late afternoon. Coming up in our next half hour, comedian Roman Garcia has what you might call a new project. Uh, I think you're really going to like this, and we're going to get the first first glance, first listen uh, coming up here after six. So the president was outside the White House today with supervision, and he had a gun at one point in his hand, but everybody's okay. But he was out there to announce a new ATF nominee and, or as he called it, AFT, and to um, rail about gun control. And we are going to come for ghost guns, which I think for people that don't know anything, that does sound scary, like ghost gun. Like, it just does it appear and disappear all by itself? Or is it a, an invisible gun? Can I get shot with an invisible gun? And we're going to prosecute... Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I can remember when a Democratic politician talking about or proposing gun control was like catnip on talk radio. I mean, people go crazy. And you would have this instant 
you know, groundswell of debate and discussion about how we need to do something, but but then others would say, no, what about the Second Amendment? And this isn't the real problem. And I noticed today there's really none of that. There's really no emotion. There's no reaction to Joe Biden. Why is that? Is it Joe Biden? I don't think it is. I think while we were busy with other things and maybe didn't realize it, um, the gun control movement hit a dead end. Instead of gaining and garnering incrementally and, and very, very slightly more support for years when you would do polls, people were starting to move toward it. People would hear about a terrible school shooting or mass shooting, and it would sway a few more souls over to the side of, well, I guess this Second Amendment is just, we can't have it. It's it's too 18th century. We can't have it. We can't live like this. Something's got to be done. And when politicians say, uh, when politicians hear you say something's got to be done, they're always ready to do something. It may not be the right something, but you can count on them always to have something. And so that was always the way. And then today Joe Biden came out, and it didn't happen. It's not having that effect. People are not freaking out on either side of the issue. Why is that? Well, because in 2020, while we were locked down with COVID, we saw people torching, looting, burning, attacking our cities without any interference or very little from law enforcement. We saw mayors and governors not pleading for more help or calling out the National Guard, but celebrating the restraint they were showing by not sending police. In Seattle, a bunch of thugs took over a couple of blocks and called it the CHOP or the CHAZ or whatever, and the mayor of Seattle said it's like a summer of love. She was like, it was like she was at a fiesta event. All she needed was her, you know, her ribbon crown. These aren't serious people, and they're not taken seriously by most of us. And it put the lie to the idea that if the police are around, they'll protect you. You don't need a gun. You'll probably just wind up getting shot with your own gun, or you'll get hurt by it, or you're more likely to get killed by owning a gun. All of that hit a brick wall, or a brick in the summer of 2020. I won't say it killed the gun control debate, but I think it put it in a very precarious position. How do you sell gun control to people that are now out buying their first gun? <laughs> people that didn't think they'd ever own one now have one. And there's something about owning a gun that makes you much less susceptible to the way politicians like to talk about gun ownership. When you don't have a gun, when you've never held one, the scare language works. When you have, not so much. And suddenly you realize you're the kind of person they used to talk about with your gun. And so that's what I think happened today. As far as the impetus for the president's announcement, in addition to the ATF nominee, he was reacting to the shootings in Sac the shooting in uh, Sacramento last week, which was a terrible thing. But the shooting in Sacramento was a criminal justice reform issue, not a gun issue. 
the government didn't keep somebody locked up that they had every righteous reason to keep locked up. They let him go. He killed. You won't stop that kind of crime by putting serial numbers on ghost guns. You'll stop that kind of crime by keeping the people you've caught, tried, convicted, locked up for their sentence. And the background checks and the other stuff that they've been talking about for years, how many times have we seen that fail? It failed the president's own son. Hunter Biden lied on his own gun application. The president's own son, the man who spoke today, has an adult son who circumvented the background check who lied on the background check, is not being convicted. The president was wagging his fingers and furrowing his brow and saying there will be prosecution, there will be federal prosecution. There are very few federal gun prosecutions, very few. And the ones they do, they they pick the low-hanging fruit, they pick the ones they know they can win. The federal government arguably has done more to sell guns and disseminate guns than stop guns. We had a caller earlier mention Fast and Furious and all the weaponry we left behind in Afghanistan, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's just what we know about. So what do you think? 210-599-5555. I mean, how do you feel about it? I think that I think at one time, today's theme, today's hot topic, whatever you want to call it, would have been gun control. Because here's a politician reaching, you know, trying, here here we go, we're going to propose some new things, we're going to pass some new, but I, I, I notice it's kind of a ho-hum response. I think that's why. Now, that's not to say that the Second Amendment is safe and you can forget all about it and don't worry anymore. I, I just, I think the Second Amendment, in a perverse way, benefited from the chaos of the last two years. Because for people that used to hear the hypothetical You might need to defend yourself. You have a right to defend yourself. No one's coming. You're the one you've been waiting for. That was the the hypothetical argument for years. And then in 2020, just as we saw in other cities, in other riots in past years, L.A. and 92, but, but suddenly in 2020, all over the place, and in places that had never known this kind of violence before, in places that didn't think it could happen, People that never thought they would be in danger saw the the mob at the end of their block, or they looked on their television and they saw places they recognized in their own city. I've been there. I go there. I work there. And it changed. Something has changed. And Ray is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Ray, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jack. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. You you know, uh, I'm a gun owner, but my frustration is that you know, how these weapons are getting into these hands of these criminals, man. I, I got a, a neighbor who's a very kind of sheriff who got his weapon stolen at the gym. I got my brother-in-law that, uh, you know, got two weapons stolen from his house. Then I have another Army buddy that I served with here in San Antonio gets three weapons stolen from his house. And where do you think all these weapons are ending up at? They're ending up on the east side. They're ending up in these, the hands of these criminals. And, and there's no, you know, there's got to, it's insanity. You know, there's no way. 
say that we could keep this up, Jack. So what do you want to do? I don't know, man. That's what you get paid for. That's what the government gets paid for. I don't know. But <laughs> well, you I must have an opinion. I, you must have an opinion. Yeah. You're, you, so you think the problem yeah. is that people's guns get stolen, and then the criminals yeah. use the guns that are stolen, right? Yeah, and then these guys... So do you think that guns? you're... So do you think that these buddies of yours that apparently don't secure their guns, do you think they should not own the guns? Hey, yeah, some type of repercussion, something. They, they just go out and buy another, you know, another gun, like it's a toy. You know, and then they call themselves these responsible gun owners. I, I call myself a gun owner, and I try my best to keep my weapon secure. But these three guys, man, it, it, just, it just blows my mind. What do, it, you do it, that, it what do you do that they don't do? Um, I put mine, you know where I put mine? I put mine in the attic, locked under two different keys, two different locks up in the attic. Uh -huh. Is that what you know I what, Ray? I I'm going to call bullshit on your entire call. I'm going to call bullshit okay. on your entire call. I'll because what the hell would a gun, what the hell would a gun in your attic under two different locks possibly do for you? Absolutely nothing. I don't care. Yeah, that's exactly control. right. That's exactly right. So your call is bull. And your call is exactly the last gasp of gun control, uh, you know, bitter enders or hanger oners. Because the problem is always, it, it's never the criminal. It's never the fact that, like in Sacramento, you're letting a, a monster roam the streets because he was let out after serving less than half of a 10-year assault sentence. It's never that. It's always some unnamed, anonymous buddy that Ray has who isn't as good a gun owner as Ray is. But Ray's a great gun owner. Ray's gun is, is hidden away with his Christmas ornaments in the attic. If anyone breaks into Ray's house, he'll just have to ask them for a few minutes' head start to go up there and move some boxes around to get his gun. I mean, come on. You gotta try hard. If you're gonna call the show, and I'm happy to debate the Second Amendment or gun laws, you've got, you've gotta do better than that. It's almost, it's almost insulting to make it that easy. So, is there something between, could there be something between locking your gun in a place where you're never gonna be able to get it if you need it? And um, leaving your gun like on the dashboard while you go in and work out. I think there might be some in between there. I think there might be some middle ground there. But no, let's blame gun owners, not criminals, not prosecutors, not, uh, you know, politicians that are permissive with repeat offenders like these guys in Sacramento were. They were all repeat offenders, they were well known. You know, it's the sinking feeling cops get when there's something terrible goes down in their town. And the minute they get the description of the suspect or they see video, that sinking feeling of, oh, we know this guy. We've had this guy. And that's what happened in Sacramento. The sheriff, if you've seen the interviews, his name is Jones. The sheriff out there is furious because they did everything they were supposed to do and locked these guys up. And the pro the uh, uh, district attorney, and I forget her name, but the district attorney is furious because she's like, we obtained, you know, a 10 or whatever year sentence. I think it was 10. And they let him out after less than half of it. These aren't good people. And then look what happens. 
But we're talking about the gun. We're not talking about the people. We're not talking about the policies. Ray's got his gun up in the attic. Dev is on KTSA. Hi, Dev. Hey, how's it going, Jack? You, you know, I got something to say today. today so, uh, look, it ain't the guns. I'm going to tell you that much right now. Now, personally, I don't have a gun, but I do know the reason that people need them. I don't mind a person having a gun. It's the people who they are letting have the guns that's the problem. It's the people out there like the people in Sacramento. It's the laws. Why don't they change the law to keep these people in but, jail? But, so but Dev, no one lets a guy like the shooter in Sacramento, no one, quote-unquote, lets him have a gun. He well, steals it or buys it from another criminal. But, he doesn't go to academy. That's he doesn't true. go through You're a background right check. But at the so, same point in time, so if you want to keep blaming the object, you'll just take it out of the hands of people who need it. True. That is true. And that's why I don't think they need to be trying to take the guns from law abiding citizens. It's the people. If you've been in jail for a gun charge, when you get out, what are the chances that you're going to you can't have you gun? can't legally get a gun, but they don't legally get them in the first place. Oh, no. That's my point. I'm I'm sorry. No, you're right. They don't get them legally. But the chances of them getting out early and not getting another gun illegally. Well, look, if, if, you let them out, if you let them out early, shouldn't the first question be who did that and why exactly. and hold that person accountable? But that's right. never the first question. The, the first question is no. always what kind of a gun was it so we can scare people. And you said that the prosecutor and the sheriff was upset. Now, while they're upset, are they going to find out who is signed that order to let the dangerous people back on the street this happens all over the country you know who who is letting these people out all, all i'm going to say all i'm going to say is, is all i'm going to say is if we don't if we keep um turning on the object we're letting politicians mm-hmm. off easy because they they this is their bread and butter they love this stuff and every but, but new mass shooting is a new opportunity for them exactly but every time something happens Oh, oh, gun control, gun control. Let's take away people's guns. That's not that. That is not the solution. That's I never going to be the solution. You're never going to be able to take away guns. You take away guns from good people, law-abiding people. The only people that's going to have them are the criminals. Right. Right. Then what are we going to? Thank do? you, Dev. Over the weekend, our good friend, longtime friend of this show, and frequently appears on this show, comedian Roman Garcia, uh, posted on Facebook uh, some of his son Caleb's. First ever stand-up comedy routine. So I guess we're talking comedy dynasty now. Was rejoined by Roman Garcia and his son Caleb Garcia on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. Gentlemen, good evening. Hey, Jack. Hi, how's everyone doing? Hey, uh, first of all, Caleb, congratulations. I I saw some of the set your dad posted and uh, very funny stuff. Um, How did that feel to be up there doing stand-up comedian? Oh, it was a very different kind of experience, much different than you think until all the way up on that stage. Um, really, you have it in your head. Yeah, what's like it like the first off. time you're on a stage and you're facing a live audience? I mean, for all the times you've imagined doing it, what's it like when you're finally actually doing it? Oh, my goodness, so much different. Like, you kind of get an idea of what you're going to say, and once you're up there, it's just more or less like everything kind of flies out of your head. you got to kind of grasp it and bring it back because... <laughs> Any dialogue you think you have planned, it disappears the moment there's, like, more than 20 people in front of you. I feel that way at the beginning of every radio show, so I know exactly what you feel like. (laughs) 
Roman, was it hard for you to watch him? I mean, you've watched many a comedian. I'm sure you've watched many people make a debut as a stand-up comic, but this had to be very different watching your own son do it. Well, it, it was because I, I was going, I hope he's as funny as I think he is. Because <laughs> 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 if not, that's a long ride home because we were up in Brady, mm. Texas, so it was a few-hour drive to get back. <laughs> but he so, so, so Caleb, how did this come really about? Bad. I mean, what was the what led up to this? You, you've you've seen your dad, I'm sure, before. You know, that's what he does. People tell you your dad's funny. How did you come? How did you come to do this? Well, you know, my father has been a comedian for as long as I can remember, and I feel like him being a comedian really grasped me and my siblings' comedic nature. Like we've always tried mm-hmm. to be the funny ones. And so for years since my dad's been a comedian, I've been just writing down jokes in my phone. And so finally out of nowhere, he told me, hey, I need someone to open for me. Do you think you get a set list together? And I kind of just went through my notebook and pulled out what I thought was best. And that's how I made the set list wow. for this weekend or this past weekend. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I, I told him, Jack, I said, Caleb, just do five minutes. I go five minutes. And in the comedy world, five minutes is a long time because you always hear comedians make that joke of, you know, give me your, give me your best five, give me your strong five. And, mm-hmm. and you can come up with your first five. And so, uh, he went out there, he did 10 minutes and he had laughs all the way through. I was like, wow, yeah. you know, okay. All right, Neo, here, way to go. You know? So yeah, yeah. It, was, it was, it was, it was, it was great to see. And my wife, my wife was real nervous about it. So she texted me the whole time. How do you do? How do you do? How do you do? And I said, you know what? He killed it. He did so good. Yeah. Yeah. And no one got slapped, right? No one got oh, God, they no. could try. They could try, but <laughs> yeah. Caleb's a big boy, so I'm pretty sure they're not gonna you know, they may try to slap me, but I'm gonna try to slap him. And and what's so funny Caleb, is, how is your to... um how's your what's your like wheelhouse? What what is your comedy compared to your dad's? We we've heard your dad, we know you know, kind of what he likes to work with and work on. Uh as you as you pointed out very diplomatically, he has been a comedian for several decades. Uh, so you're right about you're right about going back to the black and white era of television. But uh, how are you different? What's your deal? Well, I feel like me and my dad's comedy sort of aligns in the sense that we try to make jokes on things we've done in life and things we see, and we try to do some you know clean comedy. You know, we just try to do the jokes for the jokes. You know, some people kind of mm-hmm. lead more into a corner, but we just try to make fun of ourselves, our family, our mm-hmm. things we've been through, and stuff like relate to us personally. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and Roman, you and I have talked about this before. Really, the the best comedy is that kind of everybody gets it. Everybody's been there, you know. Where yeah. you, you're just you're just referencing stuff that I mean, it's why people loved Seinfeld, you know, because everybody's like, okay, that's happened. Right. That, that's exactly because I was listening to Caleb said he's doing stuff about relationships. You know, he had a you know uh, stuff about working at Walmart. He had a, a, a range of things. And it was, it was, to me, it was like, wow, like he covered a lot of stuff. And, and then what's funny is that we, we were able to feed off each other a little bit because once he got off stage, I went up and I did a joke that referenced him that unless you had seen him and saw he's, he's Caleb's taller than me, he's a big kid. And, uh, unless you seen him, you really wouldn't have gotten the joke. So I never did that, mm-hmm. told this story and, and I told it. Uh, we were at Home Depot one day. We accidentally bumped into these guys and this guy started cussing out Caleb. 
and I jumped in and I go, hey, you don't talk to my baby like that, all right? You don't talk to my baby like that. And he's looking around like, what baby? Where's there a baby? And Caleb's big, bigger than me, standing there, you know, smoking a smoking a Marlboro, going, yeah, I'm a baby. I'm a baby. Don't talk to me like that, you know. And, and unless people saw him, they wouldn't have got that. But it was so funny when he got off stage and then I came up and I did that bit and everybody could just have a good time with it. It was really funny. That is funny. Um, now I know with with like radio shows, I'll, I'll people will say to me all the time, "Oh, I could do that," or I, "I I bet I could do that." And I always tell them, "You have one. Everybody has one talk show in them." Right. The hard part. Oh, exactly. The hard part is the second would be the second show. Oh yeah. So and, and that's the thing is adding on and building it. You know. Yeah. So is that true in comedy that after you've sort of done your first set, the hard part is keeping it fresh, adding to it, going back out again. I almost feel like the more you do it, the more it almost envelops. Because I know that being on that stage and running your set list and doing your jokes, it's almost like feeding off the crowd, getting the feel off the crowds will then help you able to go higher than that, add jokes into your set list, make it more Mm -hmm. of something that you can just stay off the whim and then build off of. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's true. And and I guess... I guess there's a real skill, Roman, in learning to, you know, kind of read the room and figure out what's working and what isn't, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. Like a lot of times I may go out and know what I want to say, and I go in a completely different direction. Or I know how I'm going to start a Mm. show. I go in a completely Mm. different direction. Or there's something I never even get to. And that's what I enjoyed seeing Caleb. When he went out there, he knew what he was going to do, and then it actually got changed up a little bit, and then he actually got into Mm. some ad-lib stuff as he was up there, which I thought was great because he has a wonderful natural sense of humor. And he and I, when we just sit and chat, we were just crack each other up all the time. And he just was ad-libbing and doing stuff. And I said, there you go. That's the real stuff. When you're in front of the live audience and that interaction, a lot of times will steer where you're going. So uh, it was really great to see. All right. So now that it's the Garcia Comedy family, uh, where, where can people see you guys? Where, where will you guys be together next? Well, well, believe it or not, we've got a couple of invites already now to do some some shows. So, uh, so we may have. Don't sound so surprised, Roman. I mean, it's supposed to work that way. (laughs) Like, well, this is actually working. Believe it or not, Jack, people want to see us again. So, um, yeah, no, yeah, I said we're going to buy the bus and do the whole Partridge Family thing. I'm going to get my daughter to do. I'm going to get everybody. I'm going to get my. I'm going to get my 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 grandma. I'm going to get my wife doing stand up. It's going to be a whole deal, you know. Like we're going to milk this this gimmick till the money runs dry. That's right. Ride it into the ground. Ride it to the ground. Yeah. Oh, man, that's hilarious. Uh, uh, pretty soon. We'll let you guys know. But, yeah, I think we're going to put together a little little family show. Good, good. Well, Caleb, congratulations. Your stuff's funny. It sounded great. I'm not just saying that because your dad's here. Uh, but uh, the, I, I think it's really cool that you chose to do something that you watched him do. I, a lot of dads and moms only wish their kids would, you know, follow in their footsteps or, or take that example so that's really cool and and roman good job bringing him up and uh looking forward to hearing more from you guys yeah we'll keep thank you posted. all right thank you roman garcia caleb right. garcia's son both with us on ktsa after they made their comedic debut together in brady texas um by the way um people uh have asked me from time to time about uh when we used to have Roman and and uh, other people uh, on the show. We're going to continue to do that. Uh, we don't do Gang of Four, but we'll continue to have the people you used to hear uh, on the show from time to time. So you'll be hearing them as we roll along here. Um, Roman also posted something um, 
on Facebook. I meant to ask him about it while we had him on the line. But he posted something that I've noticed, and I don't know if you've seen this too. Have you seen stores that are using, like, fake shelving? I mean, the shelves are real. But they'll use, like, instead of having an empty shelf, they'll have pictures of what should be on the shelf. Like, pictures of, you know, the, the, the merchandise they're currently out of because of the supply chain or whatever it is. Um, or I guess because of Putin, right? That's what we're supposed to say. <laughs> because Putin wouldn't let us have, you know, Coke Zero or whatever it is. So they'll put pictures on the shelf so that people and there's a whole psychology to this i was reading about it today they actually believe that it calms us that if we see empty shelves we get nervous we get panicky it inspires hoarding or or uh you know panic buying or impulse buying but if you just put pictures up people kind of walk by and go oh it looks like they got plenty of that i don't need to get it today but i don't have to worry because they have plenty of paper towels or plenty of this or plenty of that and they really it's pictures and then I've also seen, have you seen stores where they will align the merchandise like in a single row? I went to buy some uh, black beans, and instead of just putting them several cans deep, it was one single row of cans along the edge of the shelf, but there's nothing behind them. And in normal times, those shelves would be full, right, from the front to the back, however many cans fit, you know, going in deep. But just one row. Along the front, like like they were maintaining, you know, sentry duty on that shelf. I don't know. Have you seen this stuff? Have you seen this going on? What do you think of it? San Antonio City Council planning on giving a half a million dollars to the new DeLorean car company to put its headquarters at Port San Antonio and create uh, four or 500 jobs. They're not going to build the cars here. These will be management jobs. And, you know... It, there's always legit questions about a deal like this. Uh, are the is the incentive uh, necessary? Was the company going to do it anyway? Um, are the promises of creating X, Y, and Z new jobs really new jobs for San Antonians, or are they jobs that will be filled by people moving here um, and things like that? I think that's always a, a good, those are always that that set of questions is always a good question set of questions to ask. But in the case of DeLorean, just being a car buff, I'm like, wow, really DeLorean? Like that was that's who we wound up with all the different car companies and all the different potential new ventures that are going to come up around electric vehicles and DeLorean. And I know, I know it's not the same outfit that John DeLorean was in with the cocaine and the, you know, the RICO investigation and all that. But honestly, I just, I don't know. What do you think? There is something about this early stage of electric cars that requires some gimmickry, right? Like, you, you know, the name DeLorean is provocative and evocative, and there will be people that will remember the legal troubles of John DeLorean, and there will be people that will just remember, oh, that was the cool car from Back to the Future. And I noticed in the way um, General Motors is marketing the Hummer pickup, their new uh, electric pickup, uh, they're marketing this feature the pickup has where it crab walks. It can kind of slide diagonally or sideways. 
Um, we're at that stage where to get people to, to bite, there has to be a gimmick. It may not always be that way, but that's where we are with electric vehicles right now. I think that's why Ford was really clever to name their electric vehicle the Mustang. I can tell you my car friends were furious. They were offended because a Mustang is a, is a muscle car. It's a gas-powered muscle car. You can't, you can't put that name on an electric vehicle that's got a hatchback and is so, di- but see, they knew that that would kind of give cool points and it did. And they're, they're selling a lot of them. 210-599-5555. So we're talking about that on our poll question, getting your reaction to it. We're talking about the, the trick grocery stores and other stores are using to fake fully stocked shelves. Have you seen any of these tricks where they arrange the merchandise so it looks like there's more of it than there really is? Uh, or they put pictures up of stuff that they don't have? So, so that I guess you'll be, if you just took a, you know, like a side eye view, you'd be like, oh, yeah, they look like they're fully stocked. Apparently there's some psychology that says people, even if you weren't looking for the item that's out of stock, Okay, so maybe they're out of, I don't know, broccoli, and you didn't need broccoli. But if you find out they're out of broccoli, so goes the psychology, you'll, you'll start to get panicky. And that might make you buy extras of the stuff you did go to the store for. Like, oh, I better get more, better stock up. It looks like we're he- heading for shortage. You know, So they're trying all this psychology to somehow get us through what are actual shortages. Of course, the shortages we have in this country are nothing compared to the shortages that are happening in Europe and elsewhere. It's much worse. Many more things are out with no prospects for restocking them. And then in countries where it's more of a subsistence economy, they're really in trouble. I mean, there's going to be, there's not just going to be the inconvenience of, oh, I wanted, you know, Coke Zero and I had to get Diet Coke or I had to get the, I had to get the, um, you know, I had to get the Hill Country Fair brand of what I wanted because they didn't have my... It's not going to be like that. I mean, there's going to be countries that are are not going to be able to feed uh, their people, basically. And that's everything from the supply chain and inflation to the uh, shortage of grain coming out of Ukraine and the shortage of fertilizer coming out of Russia and all these other things. It's... um. It's interesting how everybody is sort of aware of the tip of this iceberg, which is the the plight of the Ukrainian people. It's a real thing. But underneath the surface is even more. And there's much more, as is the case with icebergs, right? When you, whatever you see of the iceberg, no matter how big it looks, there's always more of it underneath. 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. I saw a, um, this was a, uh, I guess you'd call it a meme on Facebook. Somebody had posted. It says, working out is fat phobic. Imagine hating fat people so much that you put effort into not looking like them. Shame on you if you work out. Working out is fat-phobic. Now, maybe somebody's just having a joke here. But imagine thinking that 
we should not have people exercising or dieting because that is an expression of hatred of overweight people or obese people. I mean, I don't know anybody that actually thinks that or has ever said that in my presence, but what this represents, I guess, is we're supposed to pretend we don't know that exercise is good for you or that eating eating a healthy diet is good for you. Ideally, you should do both, right? We're supposed to pretend we don't know that, and in pretending we don't know that, in denying that, fact or those facts, we are being kind to fat people. That's what I guess the message of this is, assuming it's not some sort of weird you know, joke. How does that grab you? I mean, I'm I'm hearing more and more of this kind of thinking, where we're supposed to pretend we don't know things we all know. Because if you say it out loud, it's hurtful, not helpful. It used to be that if you told people something they didn't know and needed to know you were helping them. Now you're hurting. KTSA News Time is 6.36. This half hour, we're going to see how you voted on our Stevens Roofing JR poll. Yeah, I, I think this um, fatphobic thing is, um, I'm hoping it was just like a, an attempt at humor, but it said, working out is fatphobic. Imagine hating fat people so much that you put effort into not looking like them. Absolute shame on you if you work out. Now, if we were to take that literally, that would mean that a person that used minoxidil to grow back some hair hated bald people, right? Or I guess a person that uses hair dye hates old people or gets collagen injections or Botox or whatever. You hate old people. I've been overweight, and I've been the right weight, which I am now. So I feel like I can address this a little bit. Uh, The only person I hated was myself. (laughs) I I didn't hate anybody else. I hated the way I felt. I hated the way I looked. And I was tired of it. It did not carry over to judgment about anybody else. It never will. I will never be one of those people that Oh, hey, let me tell you about my diet. You know, no. Not an evangelist about this. I don't even consider myself, even when people have asked me, hey, I can tell you've lost a lot of weight. What I'm, I'm kind of reluctant to talk a lot about it. I'll, I'll give a few generalities, but I'd rather you got your info from somebody that knows more about it than I do. I'm not sure I did it exactly right, or it worked for me, but I'm not sure I could tell you what you should do, even if you literally asked me what should I do. But I didn't hate anybody except myself. I always hate myself, so that's not new. But I think I think this goes to something larger that we talked about years ago. There was a woman at, and still is a law professor 
at the University of Pennsylvania named Amy Wax. This was a big story about, I'd say about five or six years ago. She had written an article, and she's, she's a law professor, but her specialty is how uh, welfare law and welfare policies affect families and so forth. Okay. So she'd written an article that was very academic in nature. And her point was that all people may be created equal, but not all cultures are equal. Or that not all cultures are equal in preparing people for the real world. And she said, we're, we're discouraging values like getting married before you have children, having a two-parent household if possible, knowing where your children are, teaching them respect for authority. She said, we know these things contribute to a person having a greater chance of success. They're more likely to stay in school. They're more likely to go to college. They're more likely to have a career. They're more likely to then have a family of their own if we teach them these things and we give them these things. So why, she asked, do we pretend we don't know it? Why do we tell people that every choice is a good choice and anything you decide to do is fine? Why do we tell them that? If somebody asked you for directions, you wouldn't say to them, well, you can go this way or that way. Because that doesn't make any sense. If you knew the way, you'd say you go down this road a mile and you take a right at the tree and then you go two miles and take a left at the fork. You would tell them how to get where they were going because you know how to get there. And you want them to have that information. That would be helpful. She said, why do we pretend we don't know these values, hard work, marriage, two-parent family, family, why do we pretend we don't know these are, are good things? For that, she got blasted. There was a petition to have her fired. There were protests. And this was before cancel culture really got rolling. I, I want to say this was like five or six years ago. Maybe it was five years ago. But anyway, it was in the early days of what today would absolutely have gotten her bounced out of the University of Pennsylvania. She was saying what we know is true. She might not have said it in the perfect way. She might have been blunt. You might not like to hear what she says if you're not doing it. I, When I was fat, I hated hearing people talk about their exercise routine, and people would. I didn't want to hear it. But the reason I didn't want to hear it is because I wasn't doing it. Not because I, I thought they were wrong. It just made me feel guilty and, and dumb for not doing it. Same thing with eating. When people would tell me they had meal prep or whatever, I, I, you know, I would make a joke about it. But behind that joke was, oh, man, I really wish I was doing that. And then one day I realized there's no reason why I can't do it. I just have to choose to do it. This is about all I'm ever going to say about it. This is the most you're ever going to hear me say about it. But I'm only making the point, why would we pretend we don't know? Why would we pretend that we are hating out-of-shape people when we get into shape? In fact, I want you to know, and if you're a friend of mine or somebody I know through through the radio show, and I'm thinking of one guy in particular who used to always, we, we used to have him on a lot. You would, I'm not going to name him, but you would know who he is. And he's a fitness fanatic. 
he didn't shame me into making the changes I made. He inspired me because I realized that he wasn't very much younger than me. And the only difference between me and him is that he had chosen to do it, and I was still sitting around waiting for, you know, the fat pill or whatever. You know, we always hope there's going to be that that miracle. Oh, you can be able to eat anything you want. Take this pill, you'll be all set. You know, but I started to realize that's probably not going to happen in my lifetime. And I was inspired by people that I saw doing the right thing. I did not think they hated me, and I didn't do it out of hatred for anybody else. And this infographic that says working out is fat phobic is really, in, in my personal opinion, I'd like to hear what you think, I think it's really uh, sick. Because if it discourages even one person, that's one person that might have felt better or lived longer or been able to do a little more. And that's all that getting in shape means. It doesn't make you a better person. It opens up some avenues for you. You feel a little bit better. You you feel better about yourself, but you actually literally feel better. You Your clothes fit a little better. You can get in and out of the car a little more easily. You can play with your kids or your dog or whatever you like to do a little more easily. We shouldn't discourage anybody from doing that. And we shouldn't pick on people that haven't done it because they may yet do it or they may never do it. And it may not be right for them. And that's okay, too. I don't think we need to go evangelize people. I just don't think we need to do the opposite, which is suggesting that if you, if you, if you've made or you're making a change, if you're a, a body in progress, so to speak, that's an expression of, I don't know what, hostility? Toward other people, really? It just sounds like kind of, we don't want other people to be happy. I'm in the lifeboat. I don't want other people coming in the lifeboat with me. Let's keep them out. So we'll tell them they shouldn't even. We were asking tonight, should city council give DeLorean a half a million dollars to come to San Antonio? Which is weird because they're already coming to San Antonio, if you believe the company. But city council's got this pot sweetener. Uh, and it's a deal where they'll locate their headquarters at Port San Antonio and then create X number of jobs that will pay Y amount of money, and for that they'll get uh, a half a million dollar incentive plan. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just kind of snake bit by the name DeLorean, but the idea that, again, we're handing out money for things that I think our city sells itself, I think the opportunities sell themselves. I don't know. Um, yeah, w- one more quick thought about the fat phobic. If you're just joining us, we had a um, we're having a discussion about a graphic that somebody posted. I don't know. I don't know who. I don't remember who. But uh, the graphic said uh, on Facebook, it said, "Working out is deeply fat phobic. Imagine hating fat people so much that you put effort into not looking like them." Absolute shame on you if you work out. It might be a joke. I hope it is. It's not really very funny, but I'd like to think somebody's just trying to be funny. I'd hate to think that somebody believes that all the people jogging, walking, biking, going to health clubs, doing crunches in their living room, are all people who are motivated by hating someone they know who's out of shape. Is that you? Is that how you feel? Is that why you're doing it? You know, we've taken an idea that was a good idea, the whole we shouldn't um, 
we shouldn't use uh, popular media images of people's body to set some sort of type or norm. I agree. Women can't all look like supermodels. Men can't all look like supermodels. I agree with that. That's that's logical. I, that's a good point. It's worth it's worth reminding the people in our lives who we love and we care about that they don't have to look perfect to be perfect to us. That's good. But then when you take that further and you extend it out to, well, let's pretend that there's no good and bad. Let's pretend that no matter what you eat, it's a good choice. Let's pretend that no matter what your level of activity, that's a good choice. That's crazy. That's harmful to people. You can say you're doing it to make them feel better, but I think you're doing it to make yourself feel better. I promise you, the people that are putting this crap out have already gotten into their lifeboat. They've already taken care of their needs. It's like they don't want other people to know how to do it. And that just that seems very weird. We'll talk more about it tomorrow. We'll have more of an opportunity to delve into it. Years ago, Julian Lennon was asked if he would ever perform his father's iconic song, Imagine. And he said he couldn't imagine, pardon the pun, ever covering it, ever singing it. It would have to be, he joked, the end of the world. Well, now Julian Lennon has publicly performed Imagine, not because it's the end of the world, but as part of a hashtag stand up for Ukraine uh, campaign. Julian Lennon, who turns 60 this year, remember his dad was only 40 when he died, is here covering Imagine, as really only he can do. I want you to hear it as we end the show tonight. Julian Lennon's 2022 version of his father's 1971 hit, Imagine, on KTSA. And the world will be as one. 
Imagine all the peace 